Then, last year, something else happened. I was in the half-empty waiting room of a bus station. An officer was sitting there with a suitcase, and next to him there was a skinny boy who you could tell from his shaved head was a soldier. The young soldier was digging in a plant pot, a dry old ficus I remember it was, with an ordinary kitchen fork. A couple of simple country women went and sat next to them and, out of sheer curiosity, asked where they were going and why. Who were they? It turned out the officer was escorting the soldier home. He'd gone mad. He's been digging ever since we left Kabul. Whatever he can get hold of, he starts digging with. Spade, fork, stick, pen, you name it, he'll dig with it. The boy looked up, muttering, got to hide. I'll dig a trench. Won't take me long. Brotherly graves, we called them. I'll dig a nice big trench for you all. It was the first time I'd seen pupils as big as the eyes themselves. What are people talking about at this moment, seven years into the war? What are they writing about in the press? About our trade deficit and such geopolitical issues as our imperial interests and our southern borders. We do hear whispered rumors about those letters being sent to jerry-built flats in towns and to picturesque peasant cottages in the villages, followed a little later by the zinc coffins themselves, too big to fit into those rabbit hutches they built in the 1960s. Khrushchevki, they call them. Mothers, prostrate with grief over the cold metal coffins, are expected to pull themselves together and give speeches in their collectives, even in schools, exhorting other boys to do their patriotic duty. Newspaper reports with any mention of our casualties are ruthlessly censored. They want us to believe that a limited contingent of Soviet forces is helping a fraternal people build the way forward, that they are doing good work in the Kishlaks, the local word for villages that our army doctors are helping the Afghan women to have their babies. Many people believe it. Soldiers on leave take their guitars to the schools and sing of things they should be weeping about. I had a long talk with one of them. I was trying to get him to admit the awfulness of the choice, to shoot or not to shoot, but we didn't get anywhere. The problem didn't really seem to exist for him. What's good? What's bad? Is it good to kill in the name of socialism? For such young men, the limits of morality are defined by the military commands they receive. Yur Karyakin once wrote, We should not judge a man's life by his perception of himself. Such a perception may be tragically inadequate. And I read something in Kafka to the effect that man was irretrievably lost within himself. But I don't want to write about war again. 525, September 1986 Tashkent Airport, an overpowering smell of melons, more like a melon field than an airport. Two o'clock in the morning. The thermometer says 30 degrees Celsius. Fat, half-wild cats, Afghans they're called, dive fearlessly under the wheels of taxis. Young soldiers, no more than boys, hop about on crutches amidst the sun-tanned holiday crowds, the piles of suitcases and crates of fruit. Nobody seems to notice them. They're a familiar sight here, apparently, sleeping and eating on old newspapers and magazines, trying for weeks on end to get a ticket for Saratov, Kazan, Novosibirsk, Voroshlovograd, Kiev, Minsk. How were they crippled? What were they supposed to be defending? Nobody cares, except one little boy who can't take his huge eyes off them, and a drunken beggar woman who goes up to a soldier. Come here, love, I'll look after you. He waves her away with his crutch, 
but she doesn't seem to mind, just murmurs something sad and womanly. Some officers are sitting by me, talking about the poor quality of our Soviet-made artificial limbs, and about typhus, cholera, and malaria. About how, early on in the war, there were no wells, no field kitchens, no baths, nothing to wash up with. And about who's taking what home, who's got a video recorder, and whether it's a Sharp or a Sony. There's a saying, war is a stepmother to some, and a real mother to others. I can't forget the way those officers eyed the pretty girls in their low-cut blouses, relaxed and happy after their holidays. Dostoevsky described military men as the most unthinking people in the world. The stench of a broken lavatory in the little waiting area for the cobble flight. It was a long wait, and I'm amazed to see so many women. Snatches of conversation.